0: The Athletic.
1: Straight out of Cobham, as usual, much to discuss in the world of Chelsea Football Club. On this episode, we'll reflect on the limp and lamentable loss at Leicester, ask what next for the Blues and their beleaguered boss. We'll answer your questions and look ahead to a potentially tricky FA Cup tie this coming weekend, all in the company of the Athletics Chelsea experts. Available for free wherever you get your podcasts and ad free on The Athletic, this is Straight Out of Cobham. Hello, Lister. Thanks for joining us for our weekly Chelsea chat. I'm Matt Davis-Adams, joined by the Athletics' men in the know when it comes to the Blues. Dominic Fifield was in Leicester last night. He's still there now. Uh, no luck with the tiny kettle, though, this morning, by the sound of it.
0: <laughs> won't work. doesn't turn on. Doesn't. It's plugged <laughs> into the wall. Nothing's happening. Oh, there's a button there.
1: <laughs> the struggle is real. Uh, also with us, Simon Johnson. Hi, Simon. Hello. And Liam Toomey's here, too. Hi, Liam.
2: I feel like my work was betrayed.
1: Kai, how could you do this to me? <laughs> Very good. Uh, now then, The Athletic doesn't have much in common with the UK furniture retailer DFS, but one thing both organisations are revered for are their introductory sales offers. We've got another one for you, listener. You can sign up to The Athletic for just £3.99 a month for the first six months and enjoy unrivaled coverage of your club in 2021 as well as ad-free podcasts via the app. Just go to theathletic.com slash pod for all the info. Okay, Tuesdays in Leicester then. Well, that was a pretty painful watch. Chelsea limper than a three-week-old lettuce clinging to the bottom of the vegetable crisper in their 2-0 defeat at Leicester City on Tuesday night. Um, <laughs> Dom, as, as mentioned, you're, you're in Leicester. I was there too, to witness it live. We'll get to the, to the sort of key details in a bit, but... The first thing, I wanted to know if you were as struck as I were by how quiet the Chelsea team were. They didn't seem much encouragement, much cajoling, much criticism. It it was all just 11 blokes out there kind of separately, whereas Leicester, you could hear Kasper Schmeichel throughout the whole game and, and, and the others as well.
0: Yeah, I heard I heard Mendy a bit in the first half. Usually warnings to his defenders as as Leicester midfielders flooded through massive holes in the Chelsea's back line. But, um, but yeah, I, I, it, it felt a bit anticlimactic, I suppose you could say it was. If it, it, it felt limp, um, and there wasn't a lot of resistance in there and you you can you can sometimes get that you can get that the impression of how how a a team a team's resolve almost from from their body language and the noise they make out on a pitch and that's something that become very obvious in um football behind closed doors and yeah there was something worryingly accepting about the way that 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 chelsea performed on the tuesday night and almost accepting that they they weren't going to get anything out of the game particularly after conceding so early
1: yeah, and in terms of the the lineup and the tactics, uh, Liam, in your in your piece on the Fulham game, you wrote the selection for that match was was influenced by Leicester. Um, here's Ollie, who's tweeted the show to ask, "What was the plan? What were we trying to do that would have enabled us to win three points at a tough ground?" I ask because I have no idea, and that's the most worrying thing. Were you able to decipher anything, Liam?
2: No, I was very very surprised by the the team selection, and I know there was kind of the opposite visceral reaction from large swathes of the fan base to the lineup against Fulham and there was a lot more excitement I think when that when that team lineup graphic was tweeted by Chelsea and, and showed hudson Adoy, Abraham, Havertz and Pulisic all all in that attack but I just looked at it and thought where's the midfield balance and it, if anything it felt like a midfield that you would be more likely to pick against Fulham than against Leicester who are one of the most dangerous counter-attacking teams in the league and. That nothing that Leicester do is a secret. You know that they're built around speed in transition and the guile of James Madison to to pick out those passes and a really technically adept midfield. It was just a, a lineup that didn't make sense to me from Lampard, and it was clear from very early on that Chelsea were just so unbalanced. There was no structure in the team, aside from the fact that they they just weren't playing hard enough anyway. You know, a, a repeat of the Arsenal situation. Um, and every time Leicester went forward, they looked like they could they could score, and it, it was just a a thoroughly uncompetitive game in the end. And and that's really not what Lampard needs at the moment. I was looking back after the game, and we're 28 matches into the season now. Who's the best team Chelsea have beaten? Is it Wren? Is it Sevilla's second string? Is it Leeds or West Ham? It's not exactly a a murderer's row of contenders.
1: Yeah, it's not good. In terms of the the actual lineup, Simon, a lot of people asking us about Tony Rudiger and, and how come he's he's back in for the uh, for the last two games. Add it in Wikipedia amongst those. How can a player go from being bombed out to back in the team when the man he's replaced? Kurt Zuma has had his best season in a Chelsea shirt. It's an odd one. There's some people speculating maybe he's been put in the shop window, or is it or is it just a kind of sign of a desperate manager trying desperate things.
3: I think there's an element of both. Um, I'd be very surprised if um, any senior player, though, secures a big transfer away this month, um, apart from on loan, um, simply because the market isn't out there, that there isn't much money uh, at any club, really, to make significant transfers. Um, I think you have to bear in mind that Tony Rudiger is an influential voice, seen as a, a leader in the dressing room. And, and maybe sort of Lampard has gone for perhaps a more vocal... It's noticeable he brought in senior players, the, the sort of so-called leader group, against Fulham as well. Um, but unfortunately, it didn't didn't come off. Um, as for Kurt Zuma, I think, yes, he's had a good season, but let's not forget he's made mistakes as well. Um, there's been some high-profile high profile mistakes, which tends to have been ignored, I've, I've found. So... I I do think we're looking at a manager that is just trying to anything he can to trigger a response from a group of players that have lost all confidence and self-belief. And I get the impression that Lampard himself has perhaps lost all confidence and self-belief in what he's doing because he's changing his mind on a game-to-game basis. And that doesn't help. Because if you're making five, six changes to the game, inevitably, the rhythm, the understanding, the relationships, players will be looking at, well, hang on a minute, I'm in form, suddenly I'm not playing. It, 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 it's going to cause
1: more issues than it perhaps solves. So in the aftermath of of Tuesday's defeat, Simon and Dom have teamed up for a joint piece on Chelsea's search for a new boss. So before we get into that, Dom, we're now saying then that it's a a question of when Lampard goes rather than if, are we?
0: Yeah, I I thought that performance last night was reminiscent of the losses they had, Chelsea had at West Bromwich Albion all those years ago under Boas, and even... Di Matteo, I know Di Matteo went after the Juventus game subsequently, but it was a loss at, at West Brom that really put the nail in his coffin. It was so rudderless. He looked so helpless on the sidelines and the players looked so clueless out on the pitch that 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 being witnessed from those in the director's box and there was a delegation of you know the, the usual suspects from Chelsea at the game. Um, presumably Marina was watching it from home. That will have the alarm bells really, really ringing. And when you look at the the results they've had of late, the number of defeats. I think it's five in eight now in the league. Uh, four out of their last five away games. I mean, it's they're they're falling further off the pace in terms of Champions League football, and that's always been the trigger for for change. The noise is out there. I mean, yes, it, they're obviously going to be there are interests. Um, in terms of who's telling people what, etc., there are vested interests for, for all these for all these guys in terms of candidates who might come in, or, or, or you know, agents who have clients that might be interested, etc. But the mood music is very much towards change now, um, and it would probably boil down to who is available, what candidates are out there, as to whether that happens immediately or whether it takes place in the summer. But really, the writing's on the wall.
1: The piece then, Simon, it's titled Why Chelsea's Next Manager Might Speak German. Um, tell us a bit about how you reached that conclusion.
3: The next appointment, there
1: needs to be um,
3: a way of, a different way of thinking perhaps than it's gone in the past. So Chelsea have gone down quite a few routes when you look at their managerial history. And what does this team need right now? There's an There's an obvious German connection anyway because of high-profile signings from last summer and the need to get the best out of Timo Werner and, and Havertz, which is clearly something that, that Lampard, unfortunately, has struggled to do. But I think also where the club are coming from when when perhaps they're considering this route is is what kind of coach they need right now. Who's going to sort of fit into um, the structure that, that Chelsea have in place? Now, the Italian route is, is something that has, has brought trophies, but has also brought um a certain level of um let's just say tension (laughs) at times and i think there's a a a modus operandi of of german coaches that are used to working in a in a certain managerial structure that they're more coaches than managers they're not looking as as the piece explains that don't tend to look for a power grab it's it's all about trying to get the best out of the team collectively and the best out of Plays individually to try and improve them, and you have to say on both fronts, that's exactly what sort of Chelsea sort of are lacking right now, uh, unfortunately. That there doesn't seem to be a particular style of play that we're seeing developing, and we're not seeing individuals improve. If anything, they they they're regressing. So, this is why there's a number of factors, but this is why um, you can expect perhaps a, a
1: German-speaking coach to be very high on on the wish list. So Nagelsmann Tuchel, Rannik, Hazen, who's all names that are mentioned uh, in the piece. Dom, is there anybody at the front of the queue? You have mentioned that somebody out of work if it's going to happen immediately. That's not why you want to be basing what you want to be basing the decision on, though, is it? It's it's gotta no. be the best candidate for the job.
0: Absolutely, absolutely. And it's a difficult balance, isn't it? They have they have to they have to think long term. I mean I think there is a desire at Chelsea still to I know that I know they've they've had success with the constant chopping and changing over the years, but I think the principle of 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 some a manager coming in and 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 implementing a philosophy that, that is sustained is still quite attractive to them. So they have to think long term with an appointment. I mean, the, Tuchel and Ranić are currently out of work, so they are available. Though um, I I, sus- I suspect that. Instinctively, they'd they'd want to look for the sort of long term vision of maybe a Nagelsmann type figure. I mean, what is he? Nagelsmann's thirty three though, so I mean, it's it's there's a there's a difficult balancing act on that as well. I mean, you're bringing in somebody that's considerably younger than your first choice and a half. That like that again is is something that they will be thinking about and considering. But the speed at which change happens will be determined by. By the candidates out there, and and, and Chelsea's likelihood of, of when they they might be able to to secure them. Um, so I suppose the next the next few days, weeks, potentially months could will we'll reveal. all.
1: Uh, lastly, on this then, Liam, out of those candidates listed, is there one that really leaps off the page to you as as one who'd be your preferred choice?
0: Uh, are
2: you asking me as Chelsea correspondent or as unofficial spokesperson for Kai Havertz? So not, <laughs> not entirely clear. Uh I, I I don't I don't know really. Um I mean they're all they're all broadly speaking obviously from the from the the German school that we we know that Rangnick influenced Klopp um and Nagelsmann and Tuchel and this entire wave of 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 coaches that kind of underpin their philosophies with with this relentless pressing um and high energy style. I think more important um than than the specific name of, of the coach is just someone who can work within Chelsea structure. And we've seen in recent history that it's it's not easy to find a coach that can do that because Chelsea have, have quite a unique decision-making structure. Um, but also someone who can speak the football language of Havertz and Werner uh, in terms of how the team is set up to to try to maximise them. I'm sure Lampard has has made every effort in this regard, but it's it's clear that it isn't working really with, with Lampard. And that's not entirely his fault. Havertz and Werner have obviously had plenty of their own struggles, um and, and bear responsibility for their own disappointing performances. But um but the 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 structure they've been put in clearly isn't set up to to get the best out of them and I think Chelsea would be have to be confident given the, the level of investment at a club le- club level in seeing these guys succeed, that the, the next manager who comes in will put them in the best position to shine.
4: Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is supported by FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League Two after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the city's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher league. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenge and rise again into League One? FX's Welcome to Wrexham premieres May 2nd on FX, stream on Hulu. So,
1: those are two high profile captures from the Bundesliga. Uh, Simon, your big old scoops to you. You've been at it again. Erling Braut Haaland might be uh, the next one to move from Germany to West London. What can you tell us about this story, which was part of uh, David Ornstein's Monday column on The Athletic? Well,. At the moment, they've got no chance.
3: I guess <laughs> <laughs> if they finish out of the top four, you can imagine that Haaland is not exactly going to be uh, chomping at the bit to join a join a club that's in the Europa League or not in Europe at all. But the the thing about Haaland is, there is obviously he's going to be moving clubs within the next eighteen months, um, and any club that's got any sort of ambition. Is going to be keen on a player like him because he's clearly different level. Thirty-five goals in thirty-five appearances for Borussia Dortmund is phenomenal. Now, very much like last summer, where where sort of Chelsea used perhaps other clubs' sort of weak financial position to jump ahead of the pack um, to get Werner and and Havertz. Of course, people will now, with hindsight, perhaps think it wasn't deals that have paid off yet, um, but. They, they were very sort of opportunistic. And that's sort of the thinking right now is, look, look, there's a player that's got a release clause in 2022. There's clearly clubs that are going to be preferring to wait for that because they can get, them, get him on the cheap, relatively, at £66 million. Let's try and go for it this summer. I mean, it's going to cost a huge amount of money. There's an awful lot of competition still. Haaland probably has preferences elsewhere. But... If there's the slimmest chance of getting a a player, a striker that can take you back to sort of Premier League, Champions League contention, then you have to go for it. And that's what
4: Chelsea's thinking right now. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game and more. Head over to Michelobultra.com slash courtside to learn more.
1: so it's the fourth round of the FA Cup this coming weekend and having seen off Morecambe in round 3 Chelsea again face lower league opposition at Stamford Bridge as Championship side Luton Town visit West London uh, any games a big game for Chelsea at the moment Liam but but if they were to be beaten here that that surely would be curtains for for Frank Lampard
2: yeah absolutely in the same way that uh, Morecambe would have been absolutely unthinkable um as a as a game to lose It'll be interesting to see what kind of team gets picked whether Lampard takes a, a similar approach of, of picking a really strong team with a view to trying to get players some confidence and rhythm. I mean that that generated a big scoreline against Morecambe but it clearly didn't work based on what we saw um subsequently. But Chelsea I think um need to need to look at the the FA Cup as a as a real chance for for silverware as they did last year given that I mean, their, their chances in the Champions League look pretty slim at this point. And yeah, so it, it's going to be a big one to, to try and show some sort of improvement in this team, as well as in the the form of certain individuals. But you just get the sense that it's a, it's a little bit too late and, and a little bit too insignificant to really move the needle in terms of where things are going with Lampard.
1: It's a tricky opponent, I think. Dom Luton having a, a really good season. Manager Nathan Jones, who didn't do well at Stoke, but but seems custom made for for Kenilworth Road. No pressure on them, obviously. It's a it's a dangerous tie. This.
0: Yeah, I agree. Um, I went to see Luton post lockdown, and actually, weirdly, did the. Helped run the scoreboard and do the the artificial crowd noise at mm-hmm. Kenilworth Road just at the end of last season, and, and that was been kind of a that They lost five nil at home to Reading, and at the time, you just thought I mean, they were, they'd been threatening a little revival. They were near the foot of the Championship and struggling in their first season back up, but they revived after that five nil, and, and that that's a really a measure of the character they've got in that squad and and the impact that Nathan Jones has had in his second in second coming at um, at the club. I mean, their recent results, I know they played Brentford on, on, on Wednesday night away, which is a very tricky fixture for them. But just look what they've done to, um, say, Bournemouth, for example. Two games with Bournemouth, uh, haven't considered a goal. They're, they're the best team, arguably, with Norwich in that division. Um, and they won at down at the Vitality Stadium on, on Saturday. So they will travel to Stamford Bridge, Yeah, you know, thinking that they haven't got anything to lose. They can give this a go. This is a shot back at the uh, the big time in a in a in a big stadium albeit be with no crowd uh, and they will sense vulnerability in their hosts i would imagine so there will be a threat they will pose a threat and chelsea will have whatever selection that, that goes out there will have to be on their metal to to prevail
1: Simon, it'll evoke memories of the '94 uh, FA Cup semi-final, two 0 to Chelsea on that day. The teams haven't haven't met since. It was uh, it was Gavin Peacock's day, but, but Kerry Dixon also took some headlines, as I recall.
3: Yeah, he did because sort of one of Chelsea's best ever strikers, right up there um, in the top top three. I, I still think he's in the top three of the all-time leading scorers, and. Yeah, Chelsea fans. Um, you'd never know that Kerry Dixon was playing for the opposition that day because Chelsea fans were singing his name. I remember the the, the final whistle too. That uh, essentially the whole ground was singing his name. Obviously, Luton fans joined in as well. So it was it was a special day for him, even though he was on the losing side. But but yeah, it was it was a special day for Chelsea because of course they hadn't reached a major cup final. Um, certainly not the FA Cup final since 1970 um so yeah unfortunately it didn't work out for them in the final uh, against manchester united um david ellery uh, certainly took an assist on that one um but uh, but yeah chelsea will be expected to uh, have a very similar despite what's going on at the moment they they really should win this game um and the fa cup again no matter who's in charge this is a golden opportunity uh, already because in the next round they've been drawn away to Norwich and Barnsley or Barnsley now of course Norwich are riding high in the championship etc it's not a given but as far as three draws are concerned as, as a route to the quarterfinals, Chelsea couldn't have asked for much better um, so really there are no excuses in terms of reaching the last eight in my opinion um, and it, it, there's still a possibility despite how badly, uh, Chelsea have been playing of late, to, to think they've got a chance of silverware if they can turn things around.
1: Yeah, and one of Man United or Liverpool will be out of the Cup this weekend as well. Uh, remember, no replays in the FA Cup this season, so it must be settled on the day. It's a noon kick-off on Sunday UK time. We will, of course, react to it in next week's show. Uh, elsewhere in Chelsea news, since we last spoke, Chelsea women moved top of the WSL, replacing Manchester United, who they beat 2-1 at Kings Meadow, thanks to goals from Pinilla Harder and Frank Kirby. Athletic subscribers can read Michael Cox's tactical breakdown of that game now. Uh, as we record on Wednesday, the Blues due to take on Manchester City in the League Cup quarter-final. Chelsea won that competition last season. On Sunday, they go to Bristol City in the league. Avoid defeat there, and Emma side will set a new record for longest unbeaten run in WSL history. Currently without defeat in the last 31 games league game, stretching back to, to January 2019. Liam, it's an incredible run and, and the kind of spirit that's been needed to, to set that in place was was what we saw last weekend against Manchester United when Chelsea maybe not at their best, but managed to get the win.
2: Yeah, it speaks to a couple of things, doesn't it? I think it speaks to the overwhelming quality and, and depth of quality in this squad, but it also speaks to the the culture um, and the the mental the mental strength collectively that Emma Hayes has has built. Um, She's, she's assembled a group of elite characters as well as elite footballers. And that was one of my main takeaways from some of the big pieces I've done on Chelsea women recently was that their recruitment really focuses on um, what the, what the footballer is like as a person and, and how resilient they are as a person as a as well as their their pure talent and I think that shines through on the pitch and against Manchester United they were they were playing a a team ascendant themselves that were on a an extended unbeaten run um a team that they'd already had a very close match with earlier in the season and they they weren't at their best they they didn't play a ton of really fluent football but they they found a way to get it done and and um i think this is you're looking at why Chelsea women have historically won under Emma Hayes and continue to win
3: yeah the, the one thing i uh, the one thing i i couldn't help but notice sort of watching the game was um for for Timo Werner Reed, Sam Kerr um it was it was a game that could have been done and dusted by half-time um, and should have been done and dusted. Um, she could have easily had a hat-trick at least. Um, so I don't know whether the, the two of them can get together on the training ground, obviously bubbles permitting, and, and work on their finishing together. But yeah, it, it did feel like a, a bit of a spot the difference competition in terms of two strikers that are, are low on, on form and low on confidence. But um, in Frank Kirby... It it seems that Chelsea do have a player that's very confident in front of goal, and she, and she took the uh, the winning goal uh, very comfortably indeed, and and showed Sam
1: Kerr how it's done. Timo Kerner feels like a hashtag that, that might trend at some point. Um, in terms of the academy, by the way, it's been closed <laughs> because of a COVID outbreak. The under-23s game against Southampton, due to be played on Friday this week, moved back to Sunday. Uh, both they and the under-18s have had games postponed as a result of the outbreak. You may well have heard, listen, the FA Youth Cup has been suspended as a result of the pandemic. It had reached the fourth round stage. That's just about it for this week. Before we go, though, let's see what the chaps have in the works for athletic subscribers to enjoy. Uh, Liam, what have you been working on?
2: Well, the first thing to say is I think the schedule is quite fluid, um, depending on what happens at at Chelsea <laughs> or what doesn't happen at Chelsea. But I will be doing a piece, kind of kind of breaking down the the horror show that was at at, at Leicester, kind of framed by y Scout Frame, um, and seeing what went wrong and who went wrong. Um, so, so look forward to that. And we're also working on a piece about Petter check and and how he's uh, grown into his rather ambiguously titled role of technical and performance advisor, um, and and the implications that has for for Chelsea's broader structure going forward.
1: How about you, Dom? Do you want to give another plug for your piece with Simon on the uh, the German connection?
0: Yeah, you know, that piece that piece is out on the site at the moment um, from from the game last night. Uh, we've also got another piece on there looking back. Uh, on Avram Grant's eight month tenure as as Chelsea manager back in 2007 um, 08. No connection there. He's not as if he's walking back in at, at Chelsea, as far as we know, anytime soon. But uh, it was notable that he felt a, compelled to put out a couple of Instagram videos last week, uh, just distancing himself from the Chelsea job and, and offering his support for, for Frank from, from afar, which was very good of him. Uh, and then I'll, at, one, at some point I'll get back to writing about music in the dressing room because that, that piece is still hanging over me like uh, you wouldn't believe.
1: <laughs> well, I can't wait for that one personally, um, Simon. Last of all, we've we've spoken about the the German connection. You, you chipped in on the Avram Grant piece too, but you've also been writing about Marcos Alonso, who I had totally forgotten existed. Well, it's purely for your benefit, Matt. It's um, just one of the
3: players that as the transfer deadline. Um, rapidly approaches that that continues to have his future up in the air so what what happens with Marcus Alonso he's had a, a few inquiries about a loan um, but what does he do in this situation knowing that perhaps there could be a change of manager and therefore a, a change in his personal fortune and, and perhaps there are a few other players that are thinking that way so t- Chelsea have got this really large squad that they're desperately trying to reduce but in Marcus Alonso's case he's on a big salary He's still got a few years left on his contract you know, how hungry is he to, to genuinely find a move elsewhere um so this is a piece that, that sort of explores that situation and yeah at the moment i have no no sort of definitive answer because at the end of the day the answer lies with Marcus Alonso and i'm i'm not sure sort of how hungry he is to, to to leave chelsea at this moment because perhaps he's thinking he's got a, a, another chance um soon enough to play in a blue shirt again because he's not played since that West Brom game way back in September.
1: Good stuff. Remember, you can sign up to The Athletic for just £3.99 a month for the first six months and enjoy unrivalled coverage of your club in 2021 as well as ad-free podcast via the app. Just go to theathletic.com slash pod for all the info. Uh, We'll be back to our regular slot next week, unless Frank Lampard gets sacked in the meantime, in which case we might be back this afternoon. Uh, Do join us then if you can. For now, though, from all of us here, it's goodbye.
0: The Athletic.